0: Bridge kids, thank you so much for joining us for worship. You are dismissed to go to your classes. And the rest of us are in Exodus chapter 7. So I hope you'll grab a Bible or your cell phone or whatever it is that you find the scriptures in. And join me in Exodus chapter 7. An article in the Boston Globe... Claims that our demand for instant results is seeping into every corner of our lives. The need for Americans to have instant gratification is not new, but our expectation of instant gratification becomes faster. Here's a quote from this article in the Boston Globe um, in 2013. Retailers are jumping into same-day delivery services. Smartphone apps eliminate the wait for a cab a date, or a table at a hot restaurant. Movies and TV shows begin streaming in seconds, but experts caution that instant gratification comes at a price. It's making us less patient. I don't know about you. Are you becoming more patient or less patient? Are you able to wait for things? The article goes on to say, we've come to expect things so quickly that researchers found people can't wait more than a few seconds for a video to load. One researcher examined the viewing habits of 6.7 million internet users. How long were subjects willing to be patient? Two seconds. After that, they started abandoning the site. After five seconds, the the abandonment rate is 25 percent. When you get to 10 seconds, half are gone. The results offer a glimpse into the future, the article says. As the internet speeds increase, people will even be less willing to wait for that cute puppy video. I might not ever wait for a cute puppy video. The researcher who spent years developing the study worries someday people will be too important to conduct studies on patients. Someday people will be too impatient to conduct studies on patients. So, how are you at waiting? How are you at being patient? Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I think this was the message that God was hoping that His people would learn in the book of Exodus. To wait. Because... People's timing is not the same as God's timing, and we have some things to learn about waiting on the Lord. God had a plan to free His people from slavery in Egypt. Exodus chapter 1 through 6, the plan unfolds. Moses is to be the leader. It takes him 40 years to grow up in Egypt and 40 years to be in the wilderness of Midian, and he's still God's plan to be the leader. We've got 80 years going when this plan began to be implemented. So now God is ready. Moses is ready. Are you ready? Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So we're coming to Exodus chapter 7, we're in verse 8. God has instructed Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Once you let us go, we're going to go into the wilderness, we're going to worship, we're going to set aside three days. If you follow along in your program, the outline, number one, God's power and snakes. Verses 8 through 13. And we have the snake plan in verses 8 and 9. So let's look at verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron. Remember, Aaron now has kind of become his his spokesperson, Moses. He's going to speak for Moses. Moses is fearful about public speaking. When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses had already had this experience. Remember, it's back in Exodus chapter 4 and God told Moses to throw down his staff, and he did, and it became a snake, what did Moses do? He ran from it. It It's like most Americans, he was afraid of snakes. Um, 51% of Americans are afraid of snakes. They fear snakes more than public speaking. I think any wise person would fear snakes myself. Um, So when his staff became a snake... Moses runs, and this is the plan. Moses, take your staff. Remember the staff I gave you, Moses. Take it with you. Throw it on the ground. That's the plan. It's going to become a snake. The Hebrew says it's a big snake. Okay? Verse 10, the snake implementation. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. That's a good sign. Moses and Aaron started doing what God said the first time. God's leaders following God's plan is the good Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. So, Aaron is uh, Moses' helper. He throws the staff down. It's the same staff. Uh, Both Moses and Aaron uh, talk about it and use the same staff. And we have a very big snake right now in front of Pharaoh. We don't know what kind of snake it is. Scripture doesn't tell us. The Word doesn't tell us. Um, it may likely be a cobra. That was a very significant, important snake in um, Egypt at this time. And uh, it's, remember, we looked at this a couple of weeks back, it's a symbol of power in Egypt. Then there's a counter move on verses 11 through 12. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers and Egyptian magicians. This is Pharaoh's team. These are his experts. Uh, Three groups: wise men, sorcerers and magicians. and they're all going to work together here, and each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. We don't know how many there are here. It's pretty, probably a pretty large group. You know it's not just three or four. You know maybe it's 30 or 40. I don't know. It's a large group. And this is weird. We've got snakes all over the place on the ground. God has a snake. And Pharaoh has a bunch of snakes, and um, I personally understand this is a supernatural event. These are miracles. This is not normal. This is not natural. I don't think there's a naturalistic explanation. I think this is a miracle from God when the staff became a snake, okay? I also think these were miracles not from God when the sorcerers and the magicians the wise men's staff became snakes, plural. That these were supernatural events. This not, there's no natural explanation of, for this. Both miracles, outside of the normal and the natural. One miracle comes from the power of God. The true and living God turns Moses' staff into a snake. The other miracle comes from Pharaoh's team. And they are supernatural, and it's not from God. It's demonic, nevertheless, very real. Please know, just because something is supernatural, it is not from God. So many Christians get confused over the supernatural. There is real power. There's real power in religions apart from Christianity. Miracles can take place. People can be healed supernaturally apart from God. And uh, here we see a miracle take place um, in the presence of Pharaoh and in the presence of Moses and Ariton. So uh, Satan has the ability to do miracles. Demons have the ability to do supernatural stuff. And what we have right here is a classic power encounter between God and Satan. And Pharaoh is the human ambassador, really here for Satan's kingdom. Verse twelve: the snake outcome. Look at verse twelve, the second part. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Did you, you see that? What what just happened? God's snake ate all the other snakes. Have you ever watched a snake eat? How long did it take a snake to swallow another snake? God's snake could have done it fast. How many snakes are there? This is all in front of Pharaoh, and from in front of these uh, this Egyptian sorcerers and magicians dabbling in the supernatural. And one by one, these snakes are swallowed by God's snake. And guess who's waiting? Pharaoh is waiting watching to see what God is doing here. Now, we got a couple of pictures here we should look at. So, uh, picture on the left is King Tut. This is a, a, this really came from King Tut's tomb. And it may be hard to see, but right at the top uh, on his forehead is um, a cobra. A cobra was a symbol for the power of the Pharaoh. And what we have... To the right is the cobra. And this whole headdress of Pharaoh is symbolic of the power of Egypt. And and what's going on here? There's a power encounter between the snake from God and the other snakes. And guess what happens? There's a great defeat. Because Pharaoh's symbol is crushed in the presence of God and God's servants. The... the, uh, the, snake, the snakes are swallowed up. They represent Egypt and Egypt's power, and there's nothing to show for. This is a huge way to start the day. Um, and this is, this is just in a small group of people. This is not a plague of Egypt. This is not one of the big deals. This is not one of the great judgments of God. This is just a little power display between God and evil. Just so Pharaoh has a chance here to change his mind. Response, verse 13, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh's heart continues to be callous. His skin gets thicker. His spiritual sensitivity really hardens. The God of the Hebrews, in his mind, cannot outdo the Egyptians and their gods. In fact, Pharaoh himself was a god in Egypt, and he could not allow himself to be outdone by Moses and Moses' God, the God of the Hebrews. Um, And if we can't tell, you know, Pharaoh just slightly tends toward arrogance here. He's really got the the big head, and it was just as God said, and this is really ought to be comforting to God's people. It was just as God said. God said Pharaoh's going to harden his heart, and then God said to Moses, he will not listen to you. He will harden his heart. And then God said, He will not listen to you. You're starting to catch. God knows what he's doing, and you can listen to him. You just need to wait for him. And, you know, God is not going to be surprised by this. So Moses and Aaron, they need not be surprised by this. So we, now we go to verses 14 through 25, God's power and river gods. The situation, verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. So, like, what's new, right? Uh, God is not surprised. God still has a plan, and He just wants us to wait for it. Verses 15 through 9, we see the river plan. Let's look at that. Verse 15, go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes to the river. God knows how this is going to unfold. Pharaoh's going to go out to the river, and this was either his pattern or he was going out there uh, to, to worship the river god and to, maybe there was some kind of ceremony that he would be involved in on that day we don't know but it was apparently uh, easy to track uh, what Pharaoh's uh, schedule might be and the scripture says confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a stake remember the staff Moses? Be, be sure and take the staff got it? yep got it verse 16 then say to him the Lord the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you let my people go So that they may worship me in the wilderness. There's nothing new here. Same message. No surprises. But until now, you have not listened. This is to Pharaoh. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am who I am. I am the one that revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. I am the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, in most of your translations, by the way. Whenever you see that, that's God's personal name. This is important. This is the why. This is the reason for the plan, so that Pharaoh will know who the true and living God is. This is, a, this is for Pharaoh's personal experience. Because God wants Pharaoh to know who the true and living God is. Make no mistake, this is for Pharaoh. This is to know God. So with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die. The river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. And this is a river plan. This is God's plan. The river, the Nile River was a god. We don't, we, don't, we don't get how important the Nile River was to Egypt. It was a life source. Every year, it, it, there was a great delta area, and every year, it flooded its bank, and it, it brought new soil. It brought um, fishing. It brought drinking water to Egypt. Um, it was, without the Nile River... This was just going to be a total wilderness, desert place. And the Nile River was a god, and it interacted with other gods of Egypt. The Nile god was called Hopi. Isis was the goddess of the Nile. You have to be careful because they're male and female gods. Canum uh, was the ram god, and he was the guardian of the Nile. And so the Nile River is uh, the lifeblood of Egypt. The Nile River was said to be also the lifeblood of Osiris, the god of crops and fertility. So this river is going to be about the crops as well. It's going to bring life to this nation. So we're going to have another power encounter. This is between the true and living God and the gods of Egypt And verse 19 said, The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch. It's the same staff that Moses had. Take your staff and stretch out the hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the vessels of the wood and the stone. This is a judgment against the Nile River and the gods of Egypt. The water here is the water of the Nile River. And this will be a judgment from the hand of God symbolized by the staff of Aaron that Aaron is going to hold up over the water. And this will be a miracle. The water of the Nile will turn into blood. A lot of explanations have been you know, made some naturalistic to try to explain what really happened. Well, There was a real heavy red clay that comes to the Nile every year, and so all of a sudden this red clay took over the Nile. That's one explanation, a naturalistic explanation. Another one is there was red algae in the water. They didn't know what to call it. They just called it blood because it was red. And I just take this to be literal, that this is a supernatural miracle. I don't know what the blood looked like. I don't know if we tested it, what it would be like. I don't know how thick it was or if it watered down. I don't know, but... There's a miracle that takes place and a major change, and it's going to really mess with Egypt. Verses 20 and 21, the river implementation. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded That's another good sign. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh, and his officials struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. And, so, and uh, verse 21, the fish in the Nile died and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. This is bad news. The river of life, the river of the Nile, this god of Egypt smells terribly. Is under a curse from God. The fish died, the smell was horrendous. And the river had no use for human or animal purposes. The next story gets a little bit humorous. I think you'll appreciate in verse 22. There's a counter move, but the Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their secret arts. Did they think about that? They're going to turn more water into blood? That'll help. You know... Did anybody think maybe let's get back at Moses by turning the blood back into water? That'll show him. Nope. They do the same thing. I think God just sort of permitted that to happen. A little bit of humor for the whole thing. I bet that really got Pharaoh. and Because they're working against their own gods. They're making themselves look bad. They make the Nile look bad. They make the situation worse. It smells worse. Verse 22 The response in 23, and Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Boy, you can count on what God says here. Pharaoh's heart is going to get worse instead. He turned and went into his palace, and he did not take this to heart. No surprise here. This guy is callous. It's what God said. He's stubborn. He will not give in. And there must be a way in his mind that he can bring this situation under control. He just hasn't found it yet. Verse 24 and 25, The effects, and all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. So what's going on here? Well, there was water still available in Egypt, but it was fresh water. It was from springs. It was not water from the Nile. There was still a way to access some water. So, thirdly, God's power and the frog god. And so, I really should apologize. This is a frog goddess, not a god. But, and her name is um, Hecket. okay? That's as good as I can do. Heket. She's a female. She has a female body and a frog head. Probably not really attractive, but they—I couldn't find any great pictures. I I saw some modern drawings, but you know they they did have her on the the walls of some of the ancient uh, relics. But it just doesn't look much like a person with a frog's head. But that's who she was, and she was the goddess of birth. And she oversaw Egyptian midwives and really sort of blessed the birthing process. She is the frog god. And the frog plan is in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go that they may worship me. Same plan. Nothing new here. Same message. We just want to make sure Pharaoh understands what's, what we're doing here what he must do, and what's at stake here. Verse 2, if you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. You like frogs? You think frogs are important? You think frogs are gods? You think frogs are sacred? You won't kill frogs because they're sacred. Okay, you like frogs? Frogs, you're going to get Verse 3, the Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials, on your people, and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. You're going to have more frogs than you have ever imagined or dreamed of. Verses 5 and 6, the frog plan implementation. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron did what he was told. Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and frogs came up and covered the land. These sacred little animals. And by the way, every year the Nile would bring frogs. When the Nile overflowed, along with it sort of came a new batch of frogs. And they hung around the, the water. And then when the river began to recede over weeks, the frogs would recede too. But not this time. The frogs come out by the millions from the river. They come into the city. They don't stay at the river. And they come into the homes And into the bedrooms, and onto the dinner table, and onto every chair, every place, every nook and cranny, so that whatever you did, you were pretty much on a frog. And and the Egyptians didn't want to hurt the frogs either. So, the counter move, this is kind of silly too, the counter move, verse 7. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come into the land of Egypt. Now they have more frogs at their own hand. And it's just like nobody has thought about this. Now Pharaoh's starting probably not to trust his own guys because they just keep making it worse. And magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land. So this is like dumb and dumber. Uh, What are they going to accomplish here? Why didn't they think of sending the frogs back into the river? That would have been a good miracle, but they just get more frogs. Verses 8 through 11, the frog negotiations, and this is starting to get to Pharaoh. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Finally, we're having some impact here. Maybe Pharaoh is weakening and his heart is starting to soften toward God's, toward God. God's power is starting to take a toll on Pharaoh, and Pharaoh asks for prayer. Can you believe that? Pharaoh, the god of Egypt, asks for prayer from Moses, for relief. He wants God to help him, and he agrees to God's request. He's going to let the people go. Verse 9, Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and the officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. So, Pharaoh, you get a pick. How long do you want this to last? It's up to you. I give you the honor. You get to make the call here. You speak the word and uh, we'll make this happen. And Pharaoh says, Tomorrow. Pharaoh's still in charge, and he picks tomorrow. Tomorrow it is. Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. That's it. It's still the same. It's about Pharaoh needing to know the true and living God. You need to understand who he is. You need to understand what his power is. He is the true and living God. There is no one like this. Verse 11, the frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people, and they will remain only in the Nile. So if none of this is, if they don't leave tomorrow, if if there are no frogs in the Nile, then this doesn't work. And if there are frogs anywhere else but the Nile, this uh, is not from God. So tomorrow the frogs go back to the river. Verses 12 through 14, The answered frog prayer. No, the the frogs didn't pray, but it's about frogs. Verse 12. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. Verse 13. The Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and on the land reeked of them. This is quite an answer to prayer. Be careful what you pray the frog problem is stopped. They are no longer coming into the houses and into the palace and into all those safe places. The sacred frogs are now dead and that's a whole new problem. Dead frogs. Who does frog removal here? And the Egyptians are going to have to remove their own frogs. I would guess the Hebrews are going to have to remove their own frogs. Now, just stop and think for a minute if you're a Hebrew. God said he was going to deliver you, right? God's going to demonstrate his power, right? How easy has this been? You know, we we had the putrid smell of the river, and now we've got the dead frogs. This is not fun, God. You should have done it my way. Because I didn't want to do any of this. I just wanted to get out of here. And then we see the response of Pharaoh in verse 15. Um, But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, that is, Pharaoh has had success. He has spoken the word, and now this situation is under control. He hardened his heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. You can just count on what God says. So Pharaoh's got this under control. And God said Pharaoh would not listen. So here's some lessons from this passage today. Here's some lessons. The first uh, lesson, it's not too difficult. Some people continue to harden their hearts toward God. Just like Pharaoh, some people just will continue to harden their hearts, and you should expect that, and don't be surprised by it. Yes, there are people sometimes that are very close to us that we wished it would open up, and be sensitive to God. Sometimes they're not, and sometimes their hearts just seem to keep hardening. And by, by the way, Sue thought I was a lost cause once because my heart just kept hardening toward God. And I just kept getting further and further away from God. But nobody's too far from God. Nobody. Secondly, be careful that you do not harden your hearts toward God. You, as a follower of Christ, be careful that you don't harden your heart toward God. There's a danger for Christians to allow their hearts to become calloused, insensitive, spiritually insensitive to God. I've seen believers get caught up in sin. Uh, Sexual immorality is a great example where a believer, a genuine follower of Christ, gets sort of caught up in, in a sinful pattern and that is so powerful uh, they cannot escape from it. And they have to rationalize their behavior. And their hearts become spiritually insensitive to God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse twelve reminds us of the danger. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So he's writing to believers here. And he said. See that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. But encourage one another. This is why it's so important. We need the church. We need biblical community to care, encourage, and to help sometimes confront one another. We need the body of Christ. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Next slide. Just as has been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And That last uh, last sentence is from Psalm 95. And it's about God's people hardening their hearts with Moses in the wilderness after the exodus. And it's just—it's a warning to us. It's sort of like a wake-up call. Do not harden your hearts. Number three. God can take care of the snakes in your life. It's true. God took care of the snakes produced by the satanic miracle and God can take care of your fears. By the way... Moses had a fear of the snakes, and he ran from God's snake the first time he saw it. God can take care of your fears. God can handle the spiritual snakes that you face. God can handle any spiritual conflict that you, you come up to. And God has the power over Satan and demons, and he has delegated authority to you. Read the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And so it's going to start off here with telling a believer to be strong. And that's something you have to make sure you're rightfully connected to God and uh, that you're walking in His power, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Be strong. It's command. It's not like optional. It's like don't be passive. Don't just try to slide through life or float along. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can, what? Take your stand against the devil's schemes. Being passive doesn't help much. To take your stand against the devil's schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's what Moses was facing on the banks of the Nile, in front of Pharaoh, and all of his men with the snakes. It was a true power encounter between God and evil. And it was easy for God. God has given you authority and power. Be strong in it. John 4, 1 John 4, 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. God has, If you're a genuine believer, a genuine follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He lives in you. And he is greater than any demonic force or all of the demonic forces and Satan himself. Number four, if God can use a snake to accomplish his, his purposes, surely he can use you. Right? Right? God used the snake to show up the gods of Egypt. God can use you. God made you. God formed you. And he made you and formed you with a purpose so that you might serve him. A verse that's personally encouraged me since my very first year as a believer in Christ is Philippians 1, six. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to a completion until the day of Christ. I learned that as a brand new believer, and it just that made sense to me. You know, I'm not much. That's when I came to faith in Christ. I was pretty far from God. I didn't know the Bible at all, and um, I had no clue what the future would hold. But I had this promise that God was going to continue to work in my life because His desire was that I w- I would become more like Jesus. And he was going to do a good work in me, and he was going to continue to do it. And That gave me a lot of hope that God would change my life. And uh, you can ask my wife; he's changed me quite a bit from those days. Um, another passage that uh, is really encouraging to me is Joshua 1.9. and this is to Joshua. And Joshua was supposed to; be, it was the great general, and he was he was pretty. He lacked a lot of confidence. Uh, you can tell from Joshua 1 how many times God has to tell him to be strong and courageous because he just wasn't feeling it that day. He wasn't feeling strong and courageous. He was feeling weak, and God had given him a great responsibility as a leader to take 600,000 troops into the land of Canaan to bring victory for God's people. And Here's what he said, Have I not commanded you, Joshua, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That was God's message to Joshua. You know, that, that verse applies directly to you and me too. Because there's nothing, wherever God leads us, whatever God wants us to do in our lifetime, He will be there. He will be with us every step of the way. He will provide everything that's needed. And he says, be strong, be very courageous, move forward, walk forward. The Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Number five, be careful about putting people or things ahead of God on your priority list. God comes first. It's not about you. Life, this may be hard for you, life is about God first and so I would just ask you a question what do you do to keep God as a priority in your life or are you that far along yet Um, if we are not careful it's so easy to let other things slide to the top if we are not intentional in our relationship with God it's so easy to let a job or a career take center stage and it takes our energy our schedule and uh, we're too tired to be with God, and it affects our family, it affects our marriage, it can happen. Our ch- our child, our children, can become the most important things of our life. Our kids are here, and God is down here. That's dangerous. Our boyfriend can c- become the most important thing. Whatever he wants. The dream home, or the, the newest uh, computer game. It becomes... Something that, oh, this, is, this isn't this is that important. It's just a game. But how much time does it take? How much energy does it take? What does it take away from other parts of my life? So what saps the energy of your life? What do you think about first? And the danger is to let something slide to the top. And we don't like to call it this, but this is what the Bible would call it. The Bible would call it an idol. Something that slipped to the top that's become a place that only God should uh, be in that position. Here's where Exodus is going. Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3. This is where we're going. We're going to take Exodus to chapter 20. We're going to do chapter 20, and we're going to stop in the book of Exodus. Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is looking back now. We aren't there yet. But we're going to get there, and we're going to look back. Verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. And, and God has been dealing with gods all through Exodus. And, he's, and this is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. No other gods. No other gods before the true and living God. And uh, this is what we're talking about. And I just want to remind us, you get to evaluate. I don't have to come around and tell you what you need to do. You just need to evaluate, and you know whether something has slipped, and you need to intentionally push God back up where he belongs. Place him into lordship. He is Lord. I'm the servant. Number six, you can trust the promises of God. You can trust the promises of God. And um, we've looked at Hebrews eleven six many times Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. God rewards you because of your faith. If you trust Him, you can count on Him. He's going to reward you in this life and in the life to come. And without faith, it's impossible to please God today. You can't please Him in salvation. You can't work your way to heaven, but you can't please Him on a daily basis apart from trusting Him. We're going to close with Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. You know what? You can count on that. His compassions never fail. It's a promise of God. You can trust Him. Verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Anybody know the hymn? It's from this verse. Great is your faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. This is a promise from God. God will be faithful to you. God will be faithful to every promise to you. You can count on it. Verse 24, I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, what? I will say it, wait for him. Next slide. The Lord is good to those whose hope, who hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So, it's about waiting sometimes, isn't it? The Christian life is about waiting, waiting on God. It's so easy to take the reins and take charge and manipulate the outcome you desire. Psalm 27 14 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. That's exactly what God's people were doing in Exodus. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful for your word that you've given us an opportunity to look into history and to see it accurately, to see from your perspective, and to see you at work and how you work with your people. Though our times are different, our cultures are different, we have our own struggles and we can be impatient and we have our own scripts to write about our lives. And we struggle with being patient and we struggle with waiting on you. We often think our plans will be better. And yet you want us to learn to trust you and to wait on you. And I pray that you will help us to do that and to see that. And God, uh, if we have put something on the top of our priority list that's not you, God, it's my prayer that we could be intentional, that we would evaluate, we'd be honest, we would acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord and we want to serve him and serve him only. For Jesus' sake I pray, amen.